What we know about our past can help us better understand how we arrived where we are now and pave a clear path to where we want to go. This is Min Central Currents. I'm your host, Teresa Meese. Today, we're talking about knowing ourselves better as a community and as the beautiful patchwork of people who make up this central Minnesota landscape. My first guest, Jan Sorrell, joined me to talk about preserving her own past through a community group called Memory Writers. Uh, Memory Writers started, I think it was the 1st of August in 2012. I was not there at the beginning. Um, It was started as a project of the museum. A a museum uh, staff person started it and organized it and then got a person to lead it. And the first uh, few sessions, they meet twice a month, the first few sessions, um, they were given uh, ideas about what to write about. The first thing they wrote was a press release on the day they were born. And uh, I was not there then. I, I didn't start till February. They started in August. I, my, I started in February. So I missed that. And they said there was such a variety. Some people went into newspapers and got the history and other people told about their family or what happened in the small town where they were born. And they were very, very different. And it was very unique. And they were given uh, ideas for the next two or three or four times. By the time I got there, they weren't doing that anymore. Everybody was off on their own. The museum has been just wonderful support for us. Um, The staff person isn't doing it anymore now. We're just doing it on our own. And I always uh, suggest when a new person starts that the first thing we do is define our audience. Who are we writing for? I happen to be writing for my kids and my grandkids. And so my stories are written with that in mind where uh, other people have different audiences and the stories are written differently. We have 13 members on our on our list right now, uh, and they have very different uh, growing up experiences and, and very different audiences for whom they write, different styles of writing. We meet for two hours twice a week, and I have often say that this is the best entertainment I've had this month is <laughs> listening to the writings of others. It's just fascinating the way people write. As for myself, when I was little and we had a storm that knocked the power out, which happened fairly frequently, uh, it seemed it was always night. And my brother would sit on one side of my mom and I would sit on the other side, the two of us. And she would tell us stories about when she was a little girl. And her growing up was so different from my growing up. She remembered before they had cars. I remember before there was television. <laughs> and I remember before there was computers. So my growing up is very different from that of my kids and even more so of my grandkids. Well, the stories my mom told were so so fascinating and so wonderful and so dear. Uh, but of course she's gone and so are her stories. 
And so I have always felt the need, a need, it's a true need of mine to write my stories so my kids have them and my grandkids. I had a problem in that I don't like to write. <laughs> so um, I did uh, find a um, newsletter that was produced uh, for 10 years in paper and still is produced on online um, that helps people write their stories. Now, we're not writing a memoir. I'm not writing a memoir. In fact, most of us aren't. I'm writing a collection of short stories that you know, that, that were in, interesting for me. So I've, I found an article in, a, in this newspaper, newsletter, uh, that suggested you write the story of your child's birth, my story, what my story was the day they were born. And so I did that for the, our first son's birthday is in March. And so on his birthday that year, I wrote the story, my story of of his, what my day was like the day he was born and followed it up through six weeks, the first six weeks, what it was like to be a new mom and what kind of a baby he was. And he was wonderful. Uh, but we had some challenges and I gave it to him and said that I would add to this. I put it in a notebook and said, I would add to this on an irregular basis. And so I did that for his brother and his sister, the same thing. So then in February, the following February, I wrote the story of my husband's and my romance, how we met and our dating and all the way through our marriage. And I always put pictures in all too. And then I wrote the story of our first apartment and then of our first house. And then something changed in my life. I don't even remember what changed, but my job got more challenging and more interesting and more exciting. And I quit writing and I didn't write again, probably for 15 years. And then I heard about memory writers in the museum. And so I, I went and uh, that was, I started in uh, February of 2013. And um, it, uh, we write every two weeks, we or the first and third uh, Tuesday of the month. And I, I just kept writing and writing and I found out that I love to write. It's really fun. <laughs> but memory writers gave me what I needed. It gave me a deadline and it gave me an audience. And uh, we do we do um, discuss each other's work, only the topic. We do not critique the writing. Uh, we have had people come who want to write a book and they want us to help them critique their writing. And that's not what we do. So we do. But when we hear the topic that they're talking about, often they say that brings up a memory for me. Well, I had a similar topic or a different or different, different experience than they did. And and so. Um, uh, it, it has actually just been wonderful. I didn't write my husband's family stories. I was too busy writing my story and my husband has died six years ago. I 
I produce a paper copy for each of my three kids. And then I put all the same stories on thumb drives for my grandkids, so they all have them. This last Christmas, I put them in a notebook. I told the kids that my kids, my three kids, that I, that they're my audience, they're the people I'm writing for, and that they should give me some suggestions if they need or interested about something else. And one son said, yeah, he said, I'd like to hear more about dad's side of the family. <laughs> uh, so anyhow, I, I should have written it, but um, now I'm writing it and it's difficult because I don't have him to ask me. Uh, another another thing that was kind of interesting, when I, I, every story I wrote, I would have him read. There was way more than one time, several times, he'd say, no, it didn't happen that way, it happened this way. And so I started two or three of my stories that say something like, your dad remembers this differently than I do, but this is my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> so this is the way I remember it. <laughs> You can contact Jan to learn more about Memory Writers by emailing her at jsorrell, that's spelled J-S-O-R-E-L-L-9-7 at gmail.com. My next guest is Carrie Essig, Executive Director of the Stearns History Museum. Can you give us a little idea of what you believe the mission of the History Museum is in this community? What I try to do and what we try to do here at the History Museum is connect people, and that's all people, everybody's welcome at the History Museum, and connect people to this place and to this space and to how we got to how we are today as a community. And the only way you can really understand who we are today is if you take one little moment and take a look back and go, oh, this is how we got here. Why was this building put here? Why did this city develop here? Why did people want to move to Stearns County in the 1850s, which is when the first European immigrants started to come into the area and settle? You know, why did, you know, the Dakota and Ojibwe use this area before European settlers? And why was this their homeland? There's a lot of reasons that we do things every day that um, sometimes you just don't think about. There's a lot of good stories, too, in Stearns County that um, maybe don't make the headlines all the time. But how we live our life here and, and how we live our life here in St. Cloud is impacted by our past. And so helping people understand who we are is, is a big piece of it. Can you share a little bit about how you choose and develop what you're going to exhibit at the museum? It takes anywhere from two to three years to develop an exhibit fully from idea to actually getting it on the floor and getting it up and ready to go, right? And that's everything from artifacts and research and talking with community members and hiring the right curators and designers and all that kind of stuff to put the whole package together. We also make sure that we don't just do an exhibition, but we do programming that goes around that so that there's this interconnectedness between the exhibitions and the programming we do. There's a lot of different ways that you can put together a story and a lot of different ways that you can take a look back, learn from that experience, and then move forward. Can you share a little bit about any of the recent museum exhibits? 
last year was the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II. You know, World War II fundamentally changed the way we did everything on this planet for a long time. There were a lot of Stearns County residents who participated in World War II, either as soldiers, as workers, as officers running their farms. You know, I mean, there's a million different ways that each one of us lived a life during World War II that impacted how we do things going forward. And so we had planned a, a large event last summer and a, a whole lot of activity last summer around that anniversary. Gardening. Let's talk about gardening for a second. How many people last year started a garden for the first time? A lot, right? How many people were looking for ways to be outdoors differently than they had in the past? And how many people started to ask questions about, you know, maybe why did my family garden? And that goes back generation after generation after generation. And so we have a victory garden right next to the museum that is thankfully run not just by the museum staff, but by some wonderful volunteers from the University of Minnesota's Extension Office, who were working with heirloom seeds, were working with the history of Victory Gardens, what the purpose of a Victory Garden was. And it was all about scarcity during World War II because our manufacturing and our production efforts went to supporting our soldiers overseas, not to feeding families at home. Families at home would feed themselves, or at least a, you know, a part of feeding themselves. We're producing a victory garden this year, again, just like we did last year. Last year we did it, but we couldn't really invite you know, lots of people in to learn about it because you just couldn't have a lot of people around. The other big anniversary last year in 2020 was the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment to the Constitution, which gave women the right to vote. That's huge. And it's huge from a number of different perspectives, but we couldn't get together and celebrate last year. There was a wonderful um, exhibition put together that's traveling from the League of Women Voters. That's going to come this summer because talking about people's rights to vote it, and the historic context of that is relevant no matter what year it is. Are you working on any new exhibits right now? There's a couple that we're talking about going forward. And one of them very clearly has come out of what happened last year and the pandemic and a very personal experience that we had here at the museum. We're looking at the history of homelessness in Stearns County. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is just starting. I, you know, like we've said, okay, we want to do an exhibition about homelessness in Stearns County, but what does that mean? None of us really know yet. Why did this come about? Because of the hundreds of people who were displaced who already didn't have housing and were able to find space in shelters, how the shelters had to change because they couldn't host people because of COVID-19. And that's still a current event that's happening right now. And so we don't have all the answers as historians, um, but homelessness isn't new to Stearns County or to the state of Minnesota either. And so right now we're just asking those big questions, you know, how did we start to define homelessness the way we do today? What did homelessness look, homelessness look like, you know, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, 100 years ago? Um, and what's the connection between the economic, social, um, political situations that create a situation where people are homeless? And what do individuals do in some cases, to choose their own homelessness, because there's a lot of variables that come into that. And of course, it all comes down to personal stories, the individuals who are impacted by something. I do have a small follow-up question to something you said. What did you do with the produce from the Victory Garden? 
Yeah, so we gave it away. Um, and that's the plan again for this year. So last year, I, we did a couple of things. We had a number of homeless folks that were living in the woods behind us over the course of the summer. So for the produce that you didn't have to cook, you know, squash is hard. You uh, Usually you've got to cook squash. For the produce you didn't have to cook, we would leave it on the tables with a sign that said, please take, enjoy. We gave it away to some of our members and our friends at the museum that we knew would appreciate having them. And then we took the rest to various food shelves and, and places that we knew that would take it um, in the community and just made sure that people were fed last summer. And we're going to do that again this summer. I think we're going to be a little more strategic about it this summer. Last summer was complicated and it was our first year in a couple of growing a garden. But the goal is to make sure that anything that we're not eating or that we're not using in a program to demonstrate how to cook historically or preserve historically or, or that kind of thing gets back into the community where it's needed most. Oh, that's fantastic. What a great service. So speaking of services, you have community level offerings, but what do you have available to individuals who might be interested in looking into their family history? Yeah, so uh, genealogy is, is one of the many ways that I would say um, the museum kind of got started. People interested in tracing their roots and tracing their individual families. And so genealogy as a subject matter and as a study is something that we are frankly well known for. And I'm very proud of the staff for the hard work that they do to make sure that people get connected with the resources that they need to. So we are a repository for the county. We're very lucky that we're supported by the county financially through an appropriation every year. And and we're grateful for that. There's a relationship between us and the county in that we keep county records that maybe they've digitized and they don't need the paper copies anymore, birth certificates, death certificates, things like that. Somebody actually wants to see their real one. They can come in and do that or their ancestors real one, I should say. And it's not just those records. There's other records, but birth and death records are the ones that people often ask about. We have maps. We have subject files. We have biographical files. We have personal paraphernalia that people have given to us over the years. So a really good example, there's a family in the western part of the county that donated their whole house to us, literally. The contents of their home was donated to us when they were ready to share that history. Furniture, letters, diaries, business records, we have the whole gamut. So we have the life of a family on a farm for several generations in written form, right? That history is important maybe to that one family, of course, if they ever want to continue their genealogy. But it's also important to others in the sense that if you want to know what it was like to be a woman writing a letter to her husband who was in the war, you can do that. If you want to know how much it costs to do business on your family farm in you know a particular year, we've got a pretty good account of that. Um, we also have the library version of Ancestry.com. Everybody hears about that. You know, you see ads on TV all the time. So you're missing that one leaf or that one branch, I always say, on a family tree. You can come in, make an appointment, and spend as many hours as you'd like doing research, trying to track down those relatives that maybe you haven't been able to find. We're very fortunate that we've got three really great people on staff right now doing research for us and for the community. But you're also welcome to come in and do your own. And the nice thing, the thing that honestly COVID did for us is it allowed us to kind of hone our process for getting you in and getting information a little bit. So our archivists go back and forth with you on the phone before you even come in the building about what you're looking for, the types of things you're doing and why. 
And so they'll actually pull materials before you get here and have everything kind of ready to start. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't keep doing research once you get here. It doesn't mean that you're only limited to the things that they've pulled, because obviously, as you're doing research, more questions will come up. But it gives you at least somewhere to start and gets you going right from the start. You know, it used to be you'd come in, you'd ask a question, and sometimes you have to sit for a few minutes while they're looking up that information. Because of the pandemic, we've been able to kind of hone that process a little bit. Um, so there's lots of different ways for you to find information. We have microfilm reels of all of the old St. Cloud Times newspapers. We have microfilm of a lot of the other city and township and community newspapers across Western Cerns County. Since your county museum is in a city that actually spans three different counties, can you tell me how that works? You can't talk about the west side of the river without talking about the east side. So there's certainly a connection between the two. Uh, there's a, a new marker that went up over on the east side talking about Beaver Islands too. And we, of course, contributed and and, and helped not write act, the actual text, but the context of those signs and, and talked about, you know, what might be appropriate or not given, you know, where we're at historically in this moment. So, but the other thing we do is, you know, we use the city um, in the sense that uh, the museum put together, you know, last summer, obviously there was a lot of conversation and I, there was demonstration, there was outpouring of emotions and in some people frustration about everything that happened in Minneapolis and George Floyd's death. So I'm grateful that we have two people who their only job is to focus on history all the time, all day long, who are on our board. So Annette Atkins got together with Christopher Lehman. And, you know, Christopher just wrote this great book on slavery's reach and about the history of, you know, one of the things that he has commented that he has heard and I've heard it too as a new person to the community is, you know, there's things we don't need to worry about here in Stearns County because that didn't really impact us or that community, you know, and speaking like for the African-American community, it's a fairly small percentage of our overall population. But the reality is, you know, African-American history is vitally important to our community and how it exists. And more importantly, and, and from a historic context, Christopher has done enough research to show how slavery and slave ownership has reached into St. Cloud. I mean, he's not the first to talk about it, but he's the first to sort of synthesize it in the state of Minnesota. But this got us to saying, how do we talk about it as a museum? Because, you know, you can read books, um, historians talk about things, but how do we reach the general public? And so last summer, Annette put together a tour that was called the Missing Pieces Tour. And so we all masked up. We all walked around downtown. It started at Butler Park and went into downtown. And Annette highlighted a number of businesses and a number of business developments that all were based on, frankly, race relations and how historically we've defined race and culture in our community. It wasn't meant to come to any specific conclusions. It wasn't meant to make somebody right and somebody else wrong or any. It was just an opportunity for our community to come together and have a conversation about, you know, how did our development historically in St. Cloud impact who we are today? And by putting in some pieces that maybe you don't read on, you know, the internet or maybe you don't capture if you just read, you know, the quick one paragraph about a city or about a county. It was a great opportunity, too, to be able to get outside and have a connection with other people interested in history in a time when we couldn't be in the museum. We still weren't allowed to be in the museum in that 
in a, in a number more than five, I think at that point, you know, the other big one last year, um, we're a polling place. So we got a lot of people that just came through because they were voting and exercising their right to do so. But the number of people that would stop, and if I happened to be there, you know, I'd end up in the probably a longer conversation than they expected because they're like, I don't understand the Electoral College. I think there are a lot of people who feel that same way. It's complicated, right? And it's got a history. Um, and so so we I actually taught a couple of classes or a couple of lectures last year to various groups in the community about what's the history of the Electoral College. But the reality is, is there were adults that didn't understand that their vote for the president of the United States wasn't their, like they weren't directly connected to that. That vote went to an electoral vote and then that vote went somewhere else, you know, to Congress, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then led to all of the political uprest that we all are, all know about, um, you know, that. So, so last year, um, the debate, the conversation, the, all the stuff that went along with that brought up all of these questions about, you know, what does our constitution really say? What do these documents really say? And, and I like to remind people that, you know, even our founding fathers didn't get it right the first time. They wrote a different set of articles first. They didn't work. And then they wrote the constitution. So, you know, I mean, even in 10 years, they figured out that what was there originally wasn't going to make it for better or for worse, you know, that's what happened. Um, so I don't know, history's everywhere. And, and, and there's so many great opportunities in Stearns County and in St. Cloud to learn about it that um, I look at us as kind of a jumping off point for all of that. And, and that's the thing for me is I want everybody who walks in this building to know that they're welcome, to know that their story is here somehow. If they're not quite sure when they walk in, we can help them figure that out. If you've never been to a museum before, that's okay. Let's get comfortable. And what's cool about museums is that you learn at your own pace. No question can't be answered somehow. Meaning if we don't have the answer on a label on the wall, we can take some time to dig and find the answer. There's no wrong question and there's time for every question. So you know, museums are one of those rare places where you can walk in and you can spend an hour and you can come back again the next week and start off where you left off the week before. And there's no pace. You can learn at your own pace. Speaking of learning, would you like to talk about some of the programs you have for youth at the museum? There's two programs that we do with youth that they seem to love. Um, one is our natural history exhibit. And I think the reason for that is to imagine, especially for our St. Cloud kids, imagine a place without buildings, without concrete, without sidewalk, and imagine the things and the creatures that live there. So kids come in and maybe they've lived in the city, um, maybe they've come from another city and they've moved to St. Cloud. They've never seen a heron. They've never seen a turtle. They've never seen a red fox. They've never seen a deer. They've never been really close to a duck even maybe. You can look at those animals in this exhibit, learn about their habitat, and then you can take that information. You can take a scavenger hunt and you can go out into Heritage Park and walk the trails. And I've seen all of those animals except the bear. For kids who aren't exposed to nature regularly, it gives them a chance to look at it up close and sort of get comfortable in it before they go out and be comfortable in it. And it gives them something to look forward to when they get out there. So that's one. The other program that really 
connects first, second grade, you know, their whole world revolves around you and your family, right? And they're pretty convinced, and kindergartners and first graders in particular, that when they leave their school building at night, like their teachers freeze in this day and age, they freeze on Zoom and they really do. But, you know, they're, they're sort of, that's where their developmental limits are at. We teach a family history course and for kids. Um, and so like whether you're a first grader or a fourth grader or high school, you know, and, and we've got this laid out based on learning models and learning development. But fourth graders and younger really gel around this idea of, OK, here's my family on a chart and here's how my family then is connected to my community. And here's how my community is affected by the state and to make those connections and then teach them how to look at those very early primary sources, it opens up a whole new world for them because suddenly they're in charge of their own research, even at like fourth grade. And again, it goes back to that ability to start critically thinking at a very young age, but also to ask questions. So over this last year, did you get on board with any of the online content creation that everybody else seemed to do? There's a whole bunch of cool stuff on online right now. So sternshistorymuseum.org, our YouTube channel, our Facebook and our, you know, Instagram links are all there. And we have a wonderful program staff that puts together a whole bunch of little segments on various aspects of Stearns County history when we couldn't have the public in, but those are available forever. There's a whole series. We started a series last fall called Hop, Hops in History, where you come in, you grab a beer, you know, it was for the 21 and older crowd. You grab a beer, maybe a snack, you sit down, you learn something about history. How cool is that, right? Well, we obviously couldn't do that for a while. So instead we went online and Caitlin did an um, amazing group of segments on historic cocktails and they're fun and they're funny and half of them are done in her living room. And you get to learn a little bit about the, the cultural context of a cocktail and then you get to learn how to make it. Um, and, you know, and so, you know, the next time you go and you have a gimlet when you're out, you'll know where it came from kind of thing or why it was important in Minnesota. Our curator, Eric, did a whole segment on In the Kitchen with Eric and it was about recipes from World War II. And it was about being, you know, the, it was for what you did if you were a field in a field kitchen. And so he, you know, made eggs over the a campfire and talked about, you know, what it was like to be a soldier fighting and what you might have for breakfast when you're in the field. And then he also did one that was Bisquick, basically, and Spam, baked in a bunt pan. But realistically, you know, in the 40s, that was something you might choose to eat. And sometimes it might be the only two things you could have gotten at the grocery store that day. So within 20 minutes, you've got the sights and the smells from that World War II era in your own kitchens. So we did that. And you can still do that. And we are going to continue to do that. So we're not going to stop this online programming just because we're slowly coming out of what we're what we call around here pandemic mode. So you are open to the public right now in some capacity, correct? We've got exhibition space. We've got about 8,000 square feet of ex exhibition space. About a third of that is actually open right now. And there's two sort of sneak peeks at bigger exhibits that are coming soon on those. So there's a... Um, we're going to do a story about 33rd and Cooper, like that whole neighborhood between 33rd and Cooper. So a lot of people used to come into the museum and hear about Sam Pandolfo and about the pan cars, which is a great story and a really interesting story about the beginning of manufacturing in this part of Stearns County and in St. Cloud. But there's more stories that go along with that, right? So you've got the story of Electrolux. We have the last freezer that came off the line. There's a story about what happens when a large manufacturing space leaves 
an area. You know, what happens when you close a factory down? And then there's the stuff in between, you know, Franklin and Shargill. And and so there's all these stories. And I'm not going to tell you about all of them because I want people to come in and look at them. And then there's that World War II story. And of course, the Shargill story with a 33rd and Cooper overlaps then with that World War II story. And we've got uniforms and letters and diaries and stories and pictures from all sorts of different people who are here in Stearns County, whose relatives somehow participated in either on the home front or at war during World War II. So again, sneak peek, you can come in now and see some of that. And right now the exhibits are free because not all of them are open. So we want people to come back in and enjoy. You don't have to make reservations, but you're welcome to. And you can come in and do research. So you can make an appointment and come in and start on whatever family research project you want to. Or if there's a business history research project you want to do, um, community research project, you can do all of that. We are still taking appointments for research. So what is the cost of admission for when everything's back at full speed? In general, our admission is $7 per adult, um, $3 per child. Um, We don't offer a senior citizen discount. We do offer military and veterans discounts. We also offer a discount if you're supported by WIC and you want to let us know that there's a substantial discount for families. I don't ever want an admission price to be a barrier for a family to come visit the museum. So if somebody comes in and says, I'd just like to visit the museum today and doesn't really want to provide an explanation, they are welcome to do that. Realistically, the the county is our support, and that is our way of giving back to our county community. And I should say the county is part of our support. We have support from other funders as well, but we're grateful for that county support. We also have a membership program, which is great for families. So that runs everywhere from $75 and down to $45, depending on whether you're a senior citizen, whether you're a household, things like that, whether you're an individual, that allows you to come back and use the museum for a whole year for free and you get other benefits along with that. So again, you know, there is a ch- an admission charge. Admission is certainly one of the things that helps sustain and support us annually, and we appreciate that. But we're never going to turn somebody away because they can't afford to be in here. And that's just one of the things that we do. I really appreciate the time that you've given me today for this conversation. It's been really great to hear about what the museum does for our community. Are there any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave us with today? You know, I would just tell people we are open for business. We have a lot of really great programs coming up this summer. We are still taking safety seriously, still require masks when you come in the door. I should say we're open Tuesday through Saturday from 930 to 5. That's kind of important. We have two big events coming up this summer by big. I mean, we're still only limiting it to 250 people, but it'll be outdoors most of the programming. So if you want to get a little bit of that living history experience and get to see and and experience um, life either at war or at home during World War II, Father's Day weekend, and the second weekend in July, I want to say it's like the 10th, 11th, right in there. Um, It's the weekend after the 4th. Um, We will be having programming all day, Saturday and Sunday, rain or shine, outside on our plaza and also inside the museum. So we look forward to having everybody back and come see us again. When you look back through your life or across generations, for better or for worse, you're seeing the road that brought you to where you stand now. Knowing this past, picking it up, holding it, examining it, 
that gives each of us a better understanding of ourselves. Sharing it with your neighbors, finding out where they came from and where they are going, that's what builds community. The Stearns History Museum is a fantastic local resource, as are all the various city and county historical societies dotted across central Minnesota. I hope these conversations have inspired you to give one a visit. This episode was developed and managed by Bruce Anderson. Music provided by Epidemic Sound. Production by me, Teresa Meese. Contact us with your questions, comments, and show ideas at Min Central Currents. That's M-I-N-N Central Currents with an S at gmail.com. You can find us on your favorite podcast app and remember to click subscribe. Till next week.